I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Tea and Murder, part interview show, part book club, all Agatha Christie. I'm your host, Rebecca Tendy-Norman, and I'm here today with Freya McComish. Freya is a digital designer and filmmaker. In fact, Freya actually designed the logo and brand identity for Tea and Murder, so thank you to Freya for that. Um, She's originally from Australia and grew up in Townsville and Brisbane, and she's half Danish, and she lives here in Copenhagen like I do. Um, In 2013, she and I co-founded Scandinavia Standard, a website on Scandinavian design and culture. Uh, Freya is fascinated with woo-woo and the occult, especially astrology and tarot, and is in the process of launching an astrology website called woo-woo.oo, which is an amazing name, (laughs) uh, which is a website on astrology, tarot, and the occult. Welcome, Freya. Thanks, Rebecca. It's such a a pleasure to be here. Uh, It's so exciting to... uh, see your uh, new baby come to life, tea and murder. I know. It's so funny to do something not like our job together, which we do every day (laughs) and do something totally different. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, I guess that when we first met, uh, this was a project that you uh, sort of had in the back of your mind for a while. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that even when we started the website, it was on your bio page, which was like, they were a lot longer at the time, right? And, That's uh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said that you had read every single Agatha Christie book. And oh then God. whenever we got an email, um, people, <laughs> your conversations would always turn to Agatha Christie. <laughs> that is, I completely forgot about that. But the most emails I got at that period when we had that <laughs> those long bios about our lives was that people would I also love Agatha Christie. <laughs> that is so funny that you remember that. Wow. 
Uh, I think he lo- loved it at first, but after a while, it was sort of a... <laughs> this is a bit of a distraction um, yeah. from like the Scandinavian design element of our <laughs> website. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we, we cut yeah. down the bios like a couple of years ago to be just like, Rebecca lives in Denmark, <laughs> like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so you know about my relationship to Agatha Christie because I've been telling you about it for literally a decade. But tell me about your relationship to Agatha Christie. Do you know a lot about her work? Have you read a lot of her work? Like, what's your connection with her? Okay, so um, my connection with Agatha Christie, I, uh, well, I, I grew up in Australia and um, I loved watching Poirot and Miss Marple with mm-hmm. my grandma growing up. Um, obviously, Australia has a lot of links to the UK, but... Otherwise, I don't have a very a long, deep history with yeah. um, Agatha. I think that we, we, um, yeah, it, it was it was something that I always wanted to to get around to reading more. Um, and I you're think you're I, a, I think my, you're a big reader, so it's like you were just reading other stuff, basically. Like it's not, yeah. yeah. It was it was always on the list, yeah. and I think that uh, I think the very first time I was introduced was watching the 1945 version of And Then There Were None with oh, my dad. Wow. Okay. Um, which is um, fantastic, actually. It was uh, black and white and very, um, ah, very uh, dramatic. Yeah, like very um, ominous. And then, Everything's ominous. Very ominous. And then um, I obviously re- reread, no, I read the book for the first time when you started the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, y- years later, uh, when visiting my uh, Danish auntie, um, Auntie Hannah in Malta, um, she. Um, she actually really introduced me to the books and, and spoke oh. to me about them a lot. She was obsessed. And she also happened to be an astrologer. Um, she was sort huh. of this uh, kind of a, a spiritual specialist of sorts and people would, would seek her out in, in Malta. And, oh, my um, God. Yeah. That's so interesting. So it all, it all comes together. <laughs> it all comes together <laughs> as it always does. So this episode is a little bit different because – we kind of have you here as a specialist, not on Agatha Christie, but on astrology. And um, yes. you are going to be sharing Agatha Christie's astrology birth chart with us. And before we get into that, I want you to tell me a little bit about like, how did you get into astrology and like, how do you use it in your daily life? Sure. Um, so for me, um, I got into astrology originally um, as a result of my father, Um I think that I came in with a very skeptical mind. Mm. Uh, he was interested in astrology, um, and but I grew up with my mum and my stepdad. They were less interested. Uh, so I think, though, for me, over time, I realised that it was just a, a fantastic tool for uh, looking in and uh, trying to uh, increase self-awareness, um, it's a great tool for self-reflection, yeah. uh, looking at um, opportunities in life. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a great um, tool overall. I also think it was really helpful for me to, um, to connect with my dad in a way. Mm. I think that what happened was that he was so uh, in- interested in, um, in uh, understanding the world through the lens of astrology. And then I think by uh, coming to him with certain problems, or, um, he would use his uh, astrological framework to explain things to me. And I think that was a really uh, great way to bond with him. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, you, you say that you came to it as a skeptic and I totally know what you mean, but I do like, can you talk a little bit about um, like your embrace of it as well? Because you are, I mean, I, I don't know if you consider yourself an expert, but I always think of you as such. And like, how have you, how have you kind of embraced it in your life? Yeah. I think that over the years I've, I've come to understand that it's, it's more a part of 
myself. Um, and I think in the past, though, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. So yeah. I think that it was just a, a secret part of myself that I I had like I had a in my filing cabinet. I had all these different charts and books, and but I, I never I talked to my sister about it. I talked to my dad about it, but I didn't really talk to other people about it because mm-hmm. it was it was met with uh, yeah so much disdain and um, and also I consider myself to be quite a, a scientific person as well. Yeah, like, you I, are. I love, yeah, so I think that over time though I came to accept that uh, it's. Uh, it's just a very uh, useful tool mm-hmm. and also over time noticing some patterns and, and things that are, are speaking to something larger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah. And, and to be honest, uh, even when you asked me to come on this podcast, I was a little reluctant because I, yeah. as much as people are, are much more open about this these days, uh, yeah, it's uh, – it was something that I was still kind of keeping to myself a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny because you, you did say that to me and I was surprised because you've always talked to me about astrology and I've always known that that's a part of you and like loved that it's a part of you because you, as you say, you are such a scientific and like quite technical person um, so that you have this side of yourself that is like totally different and like very embracing of um, this like system is so I think great and cool and I've always really liked it about you um so yeah yeah <laughs> especially in the early days when I'd be like do you would you mind us delaying that in very important meeting yeah, I know I was like days. what now <laughs> um yeah and so this is a good place for me to say like in terms of my own understanding and around astrology um I am definitely coming to this podcast and like to life in general with you as my business partner as like a newbie in this I don't know that much about astrology but I'm very open-minded in the sense that like I think anything that you I mean you keep calling it a tool and I think that's what it is like anytime anyone has a tool at their disposal that they use to like learn more about themselves or like learn about their patterns or like how they interact with others and try to improve that is helpful and useful and wonderful. Um, And it's also lovely to have things that you believe in that are, as you say, a little bit bigger than yourself. Um, Yeah. But for like, for me, it's not something I particularly have ever connected to, but I want to just say like, in terms of this podcast, I'm coming to this as like a newbie with an open mind. So that's kind of my approach to like our conversation here. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear. Yeah, you've always, and that, I think that's that's always been so nice about it is um, is that you've always made me feel, feel very comfortable about sharing it. Oh, and, good. Uh, good. Yeah, it's. I it's, will, but it, it, at the end yeah. of the day, it's one of many tools. <laughs> of course, of course, and and I will say, yeah. I don't know if this will resonate with any of our listeners, but I am a Sagittarius, so I don't know what. Yes, you're. <laughs> There, so there you go. Um, but you're uh, such a Sagittarius. Am I really? Okay, that's yes, interesting to hear. Yes. But so now let's dive. <laughs> Which I love. In. <laughs> good, that's a good thing. Now let's dive into um, this birth chart. So first, before you take us through Christie's birth chart, will you tell me tell us what a birth chart is and how you go about creating one? Sure thing. So um, a birth chart is essentially a snapshot of the sky of the sky. Um, at the exact moment uh, when a person is born in the exact location where okay. they're born. So it, that's why time, location, date are, are so important when you create the chart. And so a lot of people, when they think about astrology, they think um, about, oh, I'm, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm a Taurus, mm-hmm. I'm a Leo. Um, that's, that's actually just referring to your sun sign. Um, okay. And a chart actually contains... Um, not just the location of the sun, but also the moon and all the other planets and astrological points 
and not only their placements, but how they aspect each other. So it's, it's, it's very complicated mm-hmm. and in the same way that humans are very complicated. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So how, uh, and how would you go about finding yeah. someone, your birth chart or someone's birth chart? Well, um, these days it's very, very easy. You okay. can just uh, look it up online. Um, you, first of all, you've got to get the, the data from your parents. Um, sometimes it's, um, you can also get it in, in birth records. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 there's so many different resources, astro.com, astrology zone, uh, astroseek. They've all got fantastic, uh, resources out there in, in the old days. It was so much more complicated. I think that my dad paid a fortune in the early nineties for astrology software so that we, he wouldn't have to draw it by hand. But <sighs> even those charts that they had at the time, they, they didn't contain the aspects it, mm. it, it still involved like a lot of maths and cal- calculations for him to interpret it. So you have uh, to like these beca- days, yeah. you have to become like Galileo yes. in order to do a birth chart in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, I think that it, it does appeal to astrology. It, it appeals to people with like a, a very uh, analytical mind. Mm-hmm. It often really appeals to like Virgos, for example. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's so so I think that's very uh, relevant to Agatha, who has her her son in Virgo as well. Yeah. So okay. So <laughs> let's dive in. Tell, yeah. Take us through. Agatha Christie's astrological birth chart. I'm so excited to hear about this. <laughs> well, and I think this is the thing as well. Like when you first asked me about um, looking into her birth chart, I think that I, my first thought was, okay, it, the, part of the fun is, is actually figuring out um, and guessing what they are in advance. And so I, I actually jotted down some notes uh, okay. because I, I was just, obviously, I, I don't have um, that in-depth knowledge of Agatha like you do and like your, your listeners do, mm-hmm. uh, but I have some preconceived ideas. Okay. And I think that uh, I just thought, okay, she's definitely um, going to have a heavy Mercury influence. Uh-huh. So Mercury is uh, the planet um, of communications, thinking. It's, it's very, very common in, in writer's charts. I also thought that she would have a really strong Libra influence. Okay. Um, I felt that uh, her style of writing, I always had the impression that it was, it's more about uh, justice. It's, it's, it's not so postmodern um, in terms of uh, gory psychological depth. It's more about this idea of justice and right and wrong mm. in a way. Yeah. Um, there are psychological elements, but I just, I felt that that would be stronger than a, a I think that Libra and justice would be stronger than more of like a Scorpio influence. Okay. And I also thought that she might have a really strong um, Neptune, which is a, a higher level, level. the planet uh, is a higher level of Mercury. And uh, it's also really helpful for artists and creators. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so uh, that they were my guesses and I was very uh, shocked. <laughs> Not shocked, but actually yeah. it was very uh, affirming. Uh, maybe self-validating to, uh, <laughs> to see that all these elements were so <gasps> strong in her chart. No way. Um, That's yeah, amazing. Well, <laughs> well, the very first one, um, yeah, I think, oh, actually, I forgot this other, the, the, uh, sorry, I also forgot to mention the Virgo element, which I mentioned earlier, which yeah. is that really, um, that analytical element. Um, okay. She, she seems very uh, focused on the details and yeah. she's a, uh, really uh good at um sizing up situations and and sort of making judgments and um and really getting into the the nitty-gritty um sort of this uh logical left 
brain um, Gemini influence. So, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and so um, when I opened up her chart, the first thing I saw was that her son was in, in Virgo. Okay. And um, so, th- so what that, what that means me- is like if someone asked her like, what is your sign? She would say I'm a Virgo. She would say I'm a yeah. Virgo. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because I think I, I read – I've read both that she was skeptical of astrology herself, mm-hmm. and but also there was a, a questionnaire that was in in a magazine somewhere where she said that one of her pastimes was looking at astrology. So wow. um, I think that it doesn't necessarily mean she was a, a huge fan, but like I think she was. I think it's it's also a great tool for writers to look into. And mm. yeah, what do you think about that, Rebecca? <laughs> uh, I th- I mean that's so fascinating, and I like what do I think about her potentially being interested in astrology? Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see it. I mean, I think as we'll talk about in the book that, that you read for this podcast, um, we both read the pale horse. Um, she's very Mm -hmm. interested in spiritualism and the occult. Um, and I think brings, brings those elements into a lot of her books and stories actually, but I think usually uses it as a plot device. Um, and we'll kind of talk about that, but in order to use it as a plot device, you have to learn about it and know about it and be interested in it enough to actually use it. So that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yes, as we were explaining, her, her son is in Virgo um, and it means that she has a, a need for order and she has a fantastic attention to detail. Um, she's quite logical and practical minded. Um, I think she's like a bit of a, a perfectionist at heart and has a little bit of a, a critical eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and think that yeah it, it goes to sort of show that she's quite like laser sharp and um the the next element though that we'll look into here is the the libra influence so she has um libra in her uh in her 10th house so this is um the, in, in astrology there's not only that the house placements um sorry there's not only the in astrology there's not only the uh planet placements Mm -hmm. there's also the houses and the houses um what they do is they actually um position the planets in different areas of your life and so for her um her 10th house which is um uh directly above you it was uh, directly above at the point she was born is in libra and that is the house of her career and so that means that she is inclined to uh express this part of herself in her career and um, be drawn towards uh, areas of justice. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that the justice um, element, as I mentioned earlier, is is, is really important in, in Christie novels. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of it, there's a sort of a, a sense that the, the balance is restored. And so whether or not um, the killer survives or not, it, there is a sense of justice. Yeah. And uh, and then also this feeling that the community is then safe again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that um, that Libras generally, they, they like to have this sense of, uh, of certainty at the end. Okay. And there is also like a gentle humor to it as well and a certain beauty. So I think that um, that's something that um, Christy really, really does well in her work and, and brings into her work. And you can see it in her chart there in, in the 10th house. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I think also she's definitely a product of her time with that as well because um, and not only does she have her, her 10th house in, in Libra, 
her her house of work and career. She also has um, her Uranus up there, um, and that is the how that is the planet um, that more has to do with change. But it's also a, a generational planet, mm. and so I think that she was sort of part of a, a bigger generation that was uh, was looking at this sense of, of justice mm. and and looking at a at a um, at having these more clear-cut stories rather than mm. um, rather than going into something really deep and darker like that, that you'd see in, in Scorpios or yeah. Zodiac Killers or things like that. Okay, and that aligns so interestingly because, you know, she was part of, like, the golden age of mysteries. So, like, that mysteries were of her kind were happening on a really large scale at that time. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that the... It, there is so much to go into in terms of her chart because she also has her moon in Libra. Okay. So um, that means that she's uh, she's finds um, it easy to relate to other people and see other people. Um, uh, and then by seeing other people, she can understand herself more. Mm. And I think that she seems to be very charming as well. And she, she would find it very easy to like relate to other people. Yes. Um, I think that um, what's also interesting is that um, this uh, strong Mercury influence that she has. And I think that the last element that's interesting to look into is that she's actually a Sagittarius rising. So it means that the moment that she was born, she had Sagittarius um, on the horizon. So her ascendant is actually the same as you, Rebecca, that um, (gasps) your sun sign. (laughs) Interesting. And what is what does uh, that mean, like personality-wise, or what is that? What what characteristics does that contain? Well, it, it's actually associated with sort of more an optimism, enthusiasm, adventure, curiosity, and a love of exploration. So, mm-hmm. if you have Sagittarius rising, uh, you might um, take a lot of pleasure in in going out and exploring other cultures. And and when people meet you, they're aware of that um, curiosity and Mm. that sense of expansion that you have in your demeanor. That is so interesting. And that like connects directly to her love of archaeology and how she would go on archaeological expeditions with her second husband. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I mean, I think that what's so interesting about her chart is it's just, I I feel like there's so many elements altogether Mm. of her her love of mystery, um, her love of... uh, justice her love of exploration and travel mm-hmm. and also um in terms of uh, her mercury placements uh, how gifted she could be as as a writer yeah. but ultimately when it comes to the the birth chart it's all about um just an opportunity it's not saying that she was destined to be right. a writer right. it, it's just that she had a, a really good basis to yeah. come from and and I haven't touched upon the aspects, but she is able, um, even if she has uh, some oppositions or squares or harder aspects in her chart, they can actually really help her um, and she can she can use them as opportunities for growth in a way. And uh, that, that it, But ultimately it comes down to her own choice. Yeah. With that. Yeah. yeah that's All a, of our choices with our charts. That's And that's such an interesting point. Like, is that something that you feel is maybe misunderstood about astrology that it's kind of like a, a fatalistic belief system as opposed to like about opportunity. Yeah, I think so. I think that it, it, I guess like all tools, it comes down to how you want to actually 
use them in mm. your life. And if you're seeing it, if you're reading a chart and seeing it as, as predestined, then that can be very problematic yeah. because ultimately free will is such an important um, part of, of living a life where you, you feel a, a sense of control or autonomy. And mm. um, yeah, I think that what's kind of nice about it though is, is you can sometimes you might have an element of your chart that maybe you don't see in yourself so much but then over time becomes more apparent mm. um and you'll often see that with um like signs in capricorn which like grow over time as you get older and mm. and and things that also start to fade away i mm. have elements of my own chart which i look at that i'm very grateful that don't i don't feel they express themselves in me so much anymore but they are definitely um a, a foundational part of who i am and, and the lessons that i learned from those those aspects oh interesting what what are yeah do you find do you find that there are other ways that people might like misuse astrology for instance or things that you really want people to like understand about how they should use astrology or your feelings about that yeah i i guess that yeah my i i I guess the one thing I, I always harp on about over and over again is just like it is it is an opportunity. And I think that there are definitely a lot of uh, situations where it, it can be misused. And obviously this is something that the pale horse uh, mm-hmm. yeah. looks into. Yes, But there, there's all sorts of problems in terms of like spiritual bypassing, cultural appropriation and and like guru worship. It's, it's, it's really a whole, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's... Yeah, it's a whole mass of problematic issues all in one. But I think at the same time, you you can, if you're aware of these issues, then mm-hmm. it's also like a very good, uh, it's, it's a tool for good. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question there, Rebecca? You, you absolutely <laughs> answered my question. And yeah. I think just it's so much to think about in terms of, because I, I do think sometimes people can be a little bit dismissive or... Um, you know, if they don't really understand astrology, they can not understand how it can be a useful tool in your life. So I think it's just so helpful um, that you're like shedding light on that. Um, And as you say, in light of the pale horse, which uh, we're going to talk about now, um, Mm -hmm. it really, it really is helpful. Um, So I am just going to give a little historical note quickly about the pale horse. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can start our book club portion of the podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, so The Pale Horse was published in the UK in 1961 and the US in 62. Um, it was published the same year as the short story collection Double Sin and Other Stories. It was preceded by The Adventures, the Adventure of the Christmas Pudding, which is also a Poirot short story book, um, and followed by The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side, which is a marple, which I love, uh, and also the play Rat- mm-hmm. Rats. Um The book uses themes of the supernatural as a backdrop for crime, as we've talked about previously. Uh, This is not the first time Christie does this. She does uh, use a similar plot device in The Sidiford Mystery, as well as stories like The Idol House of Astarte, Blue Geranium, and Motive First Opportunity, all of which are in The Thirteen Problems, um, which is a Marple book of short stories. Uh, Christy draws on Mm. spiritualism occasionally in her work, and I would say that for the most part, uh, she does that pretty non-judgmentally, but kind of recognizes the ways it can be used to manipulate people, um, particularly when they are vulnerable. So when they're sick or in grief, for example, is is a big part of how she uses spiritualism as a manipulation tool. Um, Mm. The time at which the book was written, which would have been around 1960, 
uh, was obviously a great time of great change, both for the UK and around the world. And I think that is reflected in this book, um, less in terms of its use of like the pale horse and spiritualism, uh, and more so in terms of the tension that the narrator, Mark Easterbrook, feels between kind of his more conservative personality, scholarly, you know, kind of old fashioned and the quote, new world of Chelsea and the young women therein. Uh, my favorite Chris- <laughs> my favorite Christie outrage, which is Girls with Unwashed Hair, appears very early in this book, and uh, so you can have fun finding that. Um, <laughs> the idea for the book was actually planted much earlier than 1960. However, as the character of the pharmacist, uh, Zachariah Osborne, was based on an actual pharmacist that Christie worked with. Despite having a very cherubic face, like Zachariah Osborne, Christie said he felt possibly dangerous. He apparently showed her a lump of curare that he carried in his pocket in order to, quote, make him feel powerful. Um, so <laughs> that is an enormous red flag <laughs> right there. Um, and so when she went to go write this book, he was like the first person that came to mind. Um, wow. Yeah, interesting. So the book was adapted by Sarah Phelps, who has done a number of Christie adaptations for a 2020 TV series. Uh, it was also adapted for a 2010 television episode, which turned it into a Marple mystery, uh, which you had said earlier that you watched. That one starred Julia McKenzie as Miss Marple. Um, interestingly, Christie did actually toy with the idea of making this a Marple. She considered making Mark Easterbrook into Marple's grandnephew, Raymond West's son. Uh, Raymond West, who we know is a, a kind of uh, snobby novelist who um, also loves his, his uh, aunt. Um, and it was also made into a 1997 TV movie. Um, just a little extra fun note. I think that The Pale Horse and the Moving Finger, published, which would have been published nine years previous in 1942, um, are the only, is this is the only example of a Poirot-Miss Marple universe connection. Um, Mrs. Dane Calthorpe um, appears in The Moving Finger, as does um, as the friend of Miss Marple, and then The Pale Horse, she's back. Uh, and she knows Ariadne Oliver, who, as we all know, is a friend of Hercule Poirot. Uh, also, mm-hmm. um, the uh, uh, Colonel John Despard, I believe is his name, is in Cards on the Table with Rhonda Dawes, so, or Rhoda Dawes, I believe. Um, and those people obviously appear as friends of Mark Easterbrook as well, and so they would have met Poirot in Cards on the Table. So I think that's the only time we have examples of of universe crossovers where the people in a Marple would have known the people in a Poirot. Um, but listeners can let me know if I'm wrong about that. I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I am somewhere, but I, I, I racked my brain and that was what I could come up with. So, um, that's the, oh. that's the little historical note. Um, that's so exciting. I love that they've, uh, created this, uh, it's interesting that this book is, isn't with, um, with Miss Marple or Poirot and, uh, then somehow it's like it's bringing the different worlds together. I don't know, as a reader, is that kind of exciting for you? It's sort of like fan fiction somehow. <laughs> yeah, it is almost like fan fiction. It's, um, I think because there are such minor characters, um, yeah. it's, I wouldn't say it's so much exciting in terms of the reading of it as like when you make the connection, you're like, oh, cool. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that I just, I really loved meeting all these different characters. And you know, what's interesting is a lot of them, some writers do actually create astrological charts for their characters. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. As a way of, yeah, exploring possibilities. That is fascinating. 
Um, Will you give us a one minute or so synopsis of The Pale Horse? Yes, I will. It is (laughs) um, fairly uh, fresh in my mind. I I finished reading it yesterday. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, But so the protagonist is uh, Mark Easterbrook. And um, so it starts with him witnessing a fight between two girls in a cool cafe in Chelsea with, as you mentioned, the, the dirty hair. Um, <laughs> exactly. As, as in as I, I know you said a, a quick synopsis, but I, I do think it's so interesting reading Agatha Christie in the sixties. I was sort of surprised, yeah. but anyway, that was, that was, that was nice. But, um, yeah, so he witnesses this fight between these two girls and then soon afterwards, one of them dies. Um, and then he over time learns about this organization, um, called the pale horse, which is, um, tied to arranging deaths. Um, so soon afterwards, another woman is taken ill and calls for a Catholic priest, um, to give her, um, uh, for her last rites mm-hmm. and to con- give her last confession so she can reach absolution. And he writes down, um, a list of names, um, on a piece of paper, but before he's able to, um, explain or, um, uh, give this information to anyone else, he too is killed, um, he is hit over the head with a, what was it, Rebecca? A uh, kosh. Um, a kosh, <laughs> a yeah. Kosh, a kosh. Yeah. A kosh. <laughs> um, so uh, from there, uh, Mark hears about this as well. He's somehow really uh, involved with the police department. And then he goes on from there to meet some modern witches um, in a converted inn called the Pale Horse. And it includes... Um, um, yeah, three very different witches mm-hmm. and they, they talk about, um, remote killing and using that as a method and, and they're, they're, yeah. they're doing a lot of woo woo and, yeah. and, um, and yeah, showing off their different skills. And I think it, it was sort of interesting because they were, they were, we've got this sort of part of society coming in and, and just watching on as for amusement right? in a way. They're kind of doing seances um, on demand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that um, from there, Mark suspects that this is this remote killing is um, a service that they provide. Mm-hmm. And then also when he's there, he meets a, a wheelchair-bound man called uh, Mr. Venables. That's right. And he, um, he thinks that they're linked to the murders. Mm-hmm. But um, Mark's um, girlfriend at the time, uh, she doubts him. Uh, but then instead she teams up with uh, Ariana um, Oliver, and Ginger and Ginger Corrigan and some others to uncover the death. So um, they eventually discover that the pale horse is um, operates by uh, manipulating bets on death predictions. So rather than going to uh, a man and and saying, Hey, I need you to, to uh, um, knock off this person, you'd Mm say uh, 10 to one against them living for another two weeks, which isn't really illegal. But, um, so to actually get evidence of this, Ginger, um, uh, Mark's new friend, uh, poses a victim and, uh, but then over time, um, thallium poisoning is revealed to be the actual cause of death rather than woo-woo remote killing by these witches. Right. And, um, and, uh, as much as it looks like it's, um, the wheelchair bound, uh, Mr. Venables, it's actually, uh. Osborne, the pharmacist who's been behind this the whole time, who I don't think I've mentioned earlier. <laughs> no, you haven't, this, but that's fine. <laughs> in this synopsis, so that's a real nice moment to bring it up. But 
in the process of what a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> what a surprise. I think in the true nature, well, I, I you know, it's I thought it was gonna be Lou, the the owner of the pub or the the, the cafe who did it. <laughs> oh, interesting. That would have been a twist. Um, yeah. But um who was um he was uh, trying to help with the investigation earlier and uh, he mm-hmm. was trying to misdirect them, but he was uh, using these poison products and um, and working together to sort of create a perfect crime because no one really was uh, doing the actual murder themselves. It was, it was, at the end of the day, it was him, but everyone else was sort of helping behind it, um, put it Correct. all together. And yeah, and then after Osborne's arrest, um, Mark and Ginger become engaged. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a romance. Um, yeah. yeah. So that is. Thank you very much for that synopsis. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry it was so long. I, no, I it's it was fine. Much shorter. You, you took us through it. You took us through it. So yeah. it's interesting for me that in this book, that even though the evil is kind of wrapped up in the idea of like the occult or black magic, it's ultimately like medical science. That's the real weapon, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. spiritualism is kind of a misdirection. So, you know, the reason I had recommended this book for us to do is because of its use of uh, spiritualism and spiritual beliefs on the part of the villains. And do you, and as we've talked to, or as I talked about in the historical note, this is something that Christie's done like fairly frequently. Um, Do you think that Christie portrays spiritualism fairly in this book? Um, Well... I think that in does she treat it fairly? I think that uh well, first of all, I mean, she's a product of her era. Sure. Um, and so like all her books, um and there is a uh, some uh comments in there about um about old magic, uh voodoo, and then you can sort of see some hints of uh colonialism and racism and and this idea that oh, uh, the people from the, the global south are more affected by um, the belief in um, spiritual practices, but we're, we are people of science and we're not affected so much. Right. Um, and I think that it, it, it's a lot more nuanced than that and some sure. of the way that yeah, the, her phrasing is just, yeah. Um, and I think that ultimately it's the way she talks about spirituality in her, in this book. I think that she's, she's not, um, she doesn't, um, really talk about the benefits so much. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of the characters are very interested and, and Mm. do seem to acknowledge that there are things beyond heaven and earth that, you know, we're aware of. And Mm. I, I think that, um, ultimately, uh, there are going people who are in positions of power where there's like an imbalance of knowledge. Um, so say for instance, spirituality or say for instance, medicine, there are going to be people that abuse that power. Mm. Um, I think, yeah. So the way she portrays it, um, I, I think that part of me was kind of hoping that the witches had no idea that they were actually killing people, but they, mm. they were, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Even though they thought they were doing it. And I think they felt very powerful. I, I yeah. don't, like, I, yeah, I don't know what was up with their moral co- compass. And their, I don't, it, <laughs> but I think that overall, um, yeah, I think that this is a, it, it is an area where people can abuse their power. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, I think that, that, that I think that's fair enough to point out. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I, I think what's interesting for me is that kind of the initial conflict of the book or one of the initial conflicts is Mark Easterbrook trying to get people to believe that this could be happening so that he could investigate it. And he first goes yes. to a medical examiner and then he goes to his, quote, steady girlfriend who he can't kind of bear to call his girlfriend because she's so boring. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and they, they just kind of keep, and you know, there are these really smart, uh, modern scientifically minded people. And they just like, this is ridiculous. We're not even going to engage with you in this. Mm -hmm. And it takes him a while to get to the kind of creative thinking that, um, would allow him to like participate in this investigation. Um, which is already a stretch because mm -hmm. he's not a cop. Like, you know, this is one of the things that Christy does that I always find funny is like there's some male narrator who just like gets involved in an investigation despite having no police training and not being involved right? in the police. Um, another good and they're, and they're totally okay with it. Totally they're, okay they're... with it. The, this, the exact same thing happens in The Moving Finger, which has a narrator named Jerry or the main character named Jerry. And he does the same thing where he just kind of like rocks up to like interrogations and is like, oh, can I join? And they're like, of course, come sit down. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. oh so, so I yeah. think that part's funny. But, but I do think that is an interesting conflict because Christie's really framing it as like he needs people to believe him. Um, and mm -hmm. he's kind of fighting against al almost himself going, I know this is silly, but there's just something about it that's pulling me. Um, yeah, so, so no, it's true. Yeah. I think, I think he found a lot of, um, he was so happy when he had, um, the camaraderie of the, the, um, the vicar's wife. Yes. He was just so relieved. And then also ginger yes. at last. And he, I think that he just wanted someone to sort of, consider that there was something else and, and, and know that like this is something worth pursuing yes and especially with I mean yeah. Ginger I think is kind of like this plucky young woman who's kind of game whereas with Dane Calthorpe mm. I think she's very much like if you think something's wrong it probably is um and mm. follow that intuition whether or not it ends up being kind of a cult it's something um and I think yes. that that kind of belief in yourself is um is what he kind of needs to hear. So I totally agree. I think those two characters, as well as Ariadne Oliver, are what kind yes. of pushes him forward. Um, yeah. How would you say? Mm, exactly. I think yeah. it's. I think it's really important that they are. I think it's really important to be able to have that open-mindedness and be able to push forward, and mm. because that's actually what allowed them to to solve the case ultimately. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and without that, then, yeah, I, I think it would have been very hard to, to put all these different pieces together. Totally. Um, so it's sort of like, yeah, going through the veil. Totally. And so the spiritualism that we see um, in this book is more about like mediumship um, and, mm -hmm. and then the idea of like thought, like suggestion of, um, well, the idea is like suggestion of murder, right? Like if you tell someone that they're going to die, that they will connect to their internal death wish and die somehow. Um, mm -hmm. but, but the, yeah. the real kind of, um, the spiritualism that we see and that is, I think the most, um, kind of supposed to give us the best visual is these seances, um, with a medium yes. and how like that kind of spiritualism, which was very popular, I guess, around the Victorian times and a little bit after that, how would you say that's like similar or different to the way people approach astrology today? Like, do you see any similarities? Well, oh, I, I think there's been dramatic shifts in terms of how um, just spirituality in general, but also astrology. Mm -hmm. I think that there was more of a focus on 
the good and evil aspects and then being able to sort of partake in in the evil to get good um mm. and i think that you would you would read also like in terms of astrology um some of these like uh aspects and, and chart interpretations and if you were born with a certain aspect it would say well you're you're probably going to have some real issues with uh um cancer or you know it was just like very dark dark interpretations oh gosh and uh yeah it, it, it's wild and yeah. it, it, there's been a huge shift and um, a lot of people would actually say that these um, these shifts in terms of like how we talk about these things are, are, are also reflected in, in shifts in terms of the stars and moving into the age of Aquarius out of Pisces, but then also um, some of these outer planetary um, shifts, especially in terms of um, Pluto. Mm. But um, I think that in, in generational shifts, but I, I believe that, yeah, there we do talk about um, astrology and and spirituality um, differently. We have a, a different lens, um, and I think it's a, a, a more humanistic lens. Mm. Um, I think that also that shift came about um, during the period where where Jung was very into astrology and, and his interpretations, and they they it became much more focused on psychology mm. and self awareness rather than. Um, uh, scaring people with uh, different prophecies and um, determinism. So they, yeah, I think that it, it it's it's less a uh, it's a less scary world out there these days yeah. in terms of spirituality. Although there are uh, yeah lots of uh, pitfalls to avoid as well. Sure, and it's interesting you say that because I do think that is kind of what the I guess I would call her the main witch, but Thyra Gray who is kind of the one who takes Mark Easterbrook aside and says, like, this is how the, the murders are happening. It's murder by suggestion. This is what people can do. Um, mm -hmm. sh she does kind of delve into that psychological aspect. And I think that is the beginning of his convincing, you know, because she's not, yes. she's not talking about it being black magic so much as she's talking about it being a method of, like, subconscious connection. Um, oh, I know. And then, and then also when Ginger gets sick after they 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 line her up yeah. to see what's going on, and their first thought is like, we need to get her to a psychiatrist, right? <laughs> and you're reading it, and you're like, no, you really need to do some blood tests. Yeah, exactly. Do some blood tests. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's that it is that thing of like, if you can kind of shift the the nexus of what you're like, if you rather than saying like, well, it's magic, it's saying like, well, it's psychology. Um, you can kind of get people mm. to buy into it. People who would consider themselves perhaps skeptical of magic are suddenly going, yes. oh, wait, that does make sense. Um, and I, yeah. so I thought that was a very interesting and smart way that Christie kind of shifted uh, the narrative. Yes. I think so, for sure. I, and I, I think that, and I actually, to be honest, okay, this was, I guess it was set in um, 1961. And so I, I I think that although it's just over 60 years ago, I think that it, I was, part of me was, was sort of surprised at how, how much knowledge she sort of had on, on this topic and, mm. and how that had, was um, well known at the time in terms of um, our thoughts and reality and, and how much, you know, obviously like the, they do so many studies these days on, in terms of the placebo effect and how strong that is and, and how the placebo effect varies depending on how much belief you have in your own medical system. So mm -hmm. in Denmark, the placebo effect might be stronger or weaker than the U.S. And 
yeah, it, it, it all comes down to that belief. And so it's, um, yeah. And this is also at the same time, as much as this, um, this book focus on, focuses on, um, on spirituality, um, occult, like, um, practices, this is something that's also very relevant to, to religion as well. Totally. No, I think it's, it, yeah. you know, I think we don't like to say that all these belief systems have connections between them because we like to make some belief systems seem uh, elevated above others. And certainly there are things to be said for all kinds of different belief systems, but um, ultimately like the kernel of faith is what kind of connects all those things. So you have to start at the same place really. Um, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, it is really interesting. I, I think there's just like, it was, it was so wonderful that it, it, it managed to explore so many different um, topics in, in one um, neat size volume. Totally. And so like, you know, you're not so much a Christie reader. Did you enjoy the book? What was your like takeaway as not just in terms of astrology, but just in terms of as a reader? As a reader, I really, what did I think? <laughs> I, I really, no, no, no. I, I'm trying to put my finger on it. I think that I, I loved the, um, I loved the puzzle of it. Mm -hmm. I loved the the characters. I found myself laughing out loud at different points. Mm -hmm. um, I really loved um, the Ariana character. Um, Ar Ariana. Um, Ar Ariadne. 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 Yeah. Ariadne Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> As she was, she was fantastic. She and, is fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I'm, but. Yeah, and but overall, I think that to be completely honest, mm. one thing I find frustrating about, um, which which I'm sure other readers delight in, mm -hmm. is the fact that it's it's often um, a clue that's given at the end that makes it possible to know what's happening. So there's uh. it obviously it's, it's just there's not enough given at the beginning mm. to to know who 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 done it. Yeah. <laughs> are, so are you like and, you would want yeah. these books to be like a puzzle you can solve as well? Yes, okay. I, would, I would prefer that. I, I used to like those kind of mystery novels yeah. when I was a kid. I okay. want to be able to – I want a gold star. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's so – because different readers obviously read it differently, and I think there are a lot of readers who agree with you that they prefer when a book has all the pieces that they can build along with the book, um, mm -hmm. whereas I honestly don't even notice. Like for me, the puzzle of the book is so like beside the point almost, which I know is terrible to say about a mystery because it's like the whole point of the book. But um, I just, mm. I think it's just like a how you read kind of thing. Um, but that's mm. interesting to know. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, you are a Sagittarius. <laughs> so you are very open to this. <laughs> totally. I'm just so no, open. I, I, to be honest, just so for listeners here, I don't, I rarely um, in our conversations point out to, Rebe point out that Rebecca's a Sagittarius or my astrology. No, I think you never, <laughs> honestly never have before. That's so funny. But obviously we're talking about it now. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm so glad that you came on to talk about this in, in a, obviously we're like lighthearted and we're having fun, but like in a serious way, because I do think that Christie's use of spiritualism is really fascinating and really points to, as you were talking about, like she has an interest in this, whether or not she is a believer, I think is kind of beside the point. It's about being open-minded, mm. being curious, being interested in how people live their lives. And she is, she just is in all different kinds of people's lives. So um, I love, I love that we can explore that a bit. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's one thing that from my readings about Agatha Christie is that she well, just seems to be one of the most curious people around and she was just always so observant and open. And I think that's just such a, a wonderful trait to, to, um, 
to see in a person and yeah. sort of have as a, as a role model. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I will say just yeah. in terms of this book, it is, it's one of her later books, obviously she writing in the sixties, but um, it was one of her kind of best received books of this period of time because she did kind mm. of, uh, not all of her books, obviously, but a lot of the quality of her books did start to drop off a little bit later. And that's kind of critically noted. And this book was a little mm. bit of an exception where people actually were like, really enjoyed it and it was quite yeah. cr critically well received so I think that's an it's yeah. an interesting I, one for that reason I actually read that this is like one of her favorite books as well that she's mm, written and obviously in different interviews she would highlight different books but um sometimes she'd say the pale horse and sometimes it would be something else but yeah she she I think she was very fond of this book mm, I agree and I think you can see that in the writing like it's quite a it's not a dark book but it's um it's got heft to it and I like that yeah, yeah, exactly. No, thank you so much for <sighs> suggesting it. And it's, it's just been, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to explore. Oh, I'm so glad. So for listeners at home who are maybe like astrology newbies like me, where would you recommend that they start learning about astrology, reading about it, finding out about like their own birth charts, for example, like where, where would you point them? Well, um, I think that, uh, the first places you could turn to, um, maybe, uh, Someone like uh, Susan Miller has a really nice um, uh, website where she uh, talks about astrology in a, in a really positive, open-minded way. Mm -hmm. um, she talks about opportunities more rather than um, blacks and whites and, and okay. what's going to happen. But um, And I think that she, she has um, so much passion and joy in her writing and, and so much love of life that it's, it's really contagious. Mm. Um, I also think that um, Charlie Nicholas does a, a fantastic job as well in, in her um, astrological app and, um, and her, her book as well. I would probably avoid, I, I don't know if I'm going to rub anyone up the wrong way with saying this, but personally, I'm not a fan of ProStar. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it, it, it sort of, yeah, it, it reflects some more uh, black and white thinking. And mm -hmm. I, I think so much of astrology and um, spirituality is the language people that they, mm. the, the language that people use to communicate it. Yeah. And I think that that is sort of what I'm really excited about with um, in future creating this uh, woo woo website. Mm -hmm. Woo woo.oo. That's woo woo.oo, uh, everybody. Well, <laughs> O O O at the end. O O O exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think that uh, I think that that's something that I, I really want to explore more mm -hmm. in in terms of just making sure that like these different um, when you're interpreting signs and charts and and also tarot as well, which is a, a, a major interest of mine. Um, I think that it, a lot of it comes down to um, the how you're how you're communicating it. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. And so yeah. where. Would you like to be found by the people listening? And if so, where can they find you? Other than yes, other than um, woowoo.oo, which we will obviously have in the episode yeah. notes. <laughs> yes, this is um it's currently um uh just a, a blank landing page at the moment. This <laughs> is uh I've finally beat the bit the bullet um a couple of uh weeks ago with this. But uh I think that um otherwise to find me, I'm I'm on Instagram. Uh Freya McComish is my um handle and then we also have rebecca and my uh, baby scandinavia standard yeah. so that's how we met that's right yeah. yeah so all of that will be in the episode notes and also the links to um the astrologers that you mentioned we'll put that in there as well so people can find that and um, fantastic yeah and i just want to say thank you so much for doing this and for doing agatha christie's birth chart this is just like 
so interesting and fun and something I've never thought of before. And I'm like really glad to have that information now. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to, to share some more with you about that. There's there's loads more um, that you could delve into, but yeah. it's, we could be here for days. <laughs> Once again, thank you, Freya McComish, for being here. This was so fun. Oh, it was so fun, Rebecca. <laughs> pleasure chatting as always. As always. Okay, have a great night. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our producer, Kate Crishell, and our sound engineer, Winter Robinson. To stay up to date and get some extra fun info, you can follow us on Instagram at Tea and Murder. Rating and reviewing us really helps, so please do that if you feel so inclined. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms. Remember to follow us there and recommend us to anyone you think might need a little tea and or murder in their lives. Get ready for the next episode by reading An Appointment with Death. Rent it from your local library, buy from your local independent bookstore, or if you need to buy online, we recommend bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores with every purchase. A link for next episode's book can be found in the episode notes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tea and Murder. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you.